The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome, everyone, to Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis and Bennett Carroll, bringing you this new episode of Sox Machine Live as we stream this show live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. So thank you for everyone that's watching the live stream. And for those that missed out on the live stream, the audio recordings are always uploaded into our podcast feed, which you can describe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, this part won't be heard by our Patreon supporters, which if you would like to support us on Patreon, you could definitely do so at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where you get ad-free versions of the website and podcast. But for those that don't and those that are watching, uh, Coors Light. Coors Light is now sponsoring the Sox Machine podcast, which is awesome. So thank you, Coors Light. And uh, gentlemen, we are streaming this show after a... Another postponement for the Chicago White Sox. Um, more doubleheaders in the future for the White Sox as Cleveland came, as rain came in the area in Cleveland. 
uh, washed out what was supposed to be the fourth game in three days between the White Sox and Indians. And I think this works out ultimately well for the White Sox as Lance Lynn gets pushed back a day. Now he'll be pitching our normal rest against Detroit for the Thursday game. We'll preview that series later in this episode of Sox Machine Live. Uh, but Jim, for this series, for the White Sox, it started off well. They won game one of the doubleheader, eight to six. Then they lost game two, three to one. Uh, and they lost Tuesday night, six to five. It was a great effort in the ninth inning to try to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon, both of them struggled in their starts. And we could, I think we could say that this was the worst start that Rodon has had mm-hmm. this season, and nothing was working for Dylan Cease. Starting with Carlos Rodon, is there anything that we should be concerned about with this bump in the road for Rodon? Uh, not yet. Uh, I would say, you know, there, it's a combination of a familiar opponent who kind of knows him and can line up a lot of righties against him. And I, I think maybe the one flaw that was unique to the start was the changeup not being good or maybe biting him uh, the way we thought it might be when he was relying on it earlier in the season as his primary secondary pitch as he was, uh, you know, going through April. The slider was the pitch that was behind everything else. The changeup was the pitch he leaned on, you know, over the first three innings, even though it never seemed like that great of a pitch. So perhaps scouting reports are updated a little bit and he can't get away with just any changeup in the zone anymore. He actually has to locate it now. It needs a bit more action and fade and and the kind of stuff we talk about Lucas Giolito's changeup. He needs those qualities. That's the kind of thing that jumped out to me. The other pitches were yeah, without that pitch, it was kind of like the Carlos Rodon of old, where just had to kind of grunt his way through five innings, uh, you know, uh, deal with a lot of foul balls, a lot of weak contact, uh, long at bats, and and I, I guess it's kind of nice that the old Carlos Rodon is suddenly like the bad version of him rather than the standard one. Yeah, Carlos Rodon's final numbers in his start: six innings pitched, nine hits allowed, five earned runs. He allowed three home runs to Cleveland. He only walked one, struck out eight. The reason why he went six innings is that his pitch limit, his pitch total was really low, only 85 pitches. And at one point, Bennett, I thought Tony La Russa was going to see if Carlos Rodon could just throw the complete game in a seven-inning doubleheader uh, despite not being effective. Only allowed three hits, struck out 23, didn't walk anyone. The White Sox don't score. (laughs) And the White Sox lose those two games. Here, Carlos Rodon struggles his worst start of the season and now the white Sox offense comes to support him uh putting up eight runs for his support uh, anything that you saw from carlos Rodon bennett that you're going to be paying attention to moving forward to his next start which is on track to be against toronto so i think jim said it well it, it's a familiar opponent like it's tough to expect a ton of great stuff from him a third time out. He also, he's faced uh, Kansas city twice as well. And they got to him a lot more the second time around. So I think it's just going to be more, more planning coming up with more than just here's my best stuff, which he can do. And, you know, he's smart enough to to come up with something. So I, I think for Toronto, he honestly can probably throw his normal stuff and he should be fine. Uh, but as he starts to see teams a second time, especially, but even more so a third time, you know, just try to come up with, with more strategies than just here's my pitch. So for Carlos Rodon, 
he was still able to get the no decision as the White Sox won that game in extra innings. Uh, Dylan Cease did not have the same benefit. And Jim, I think a lot went wrong for Dylan Cease in that start against Cleveland. I mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say, well, this is the third time Cleveland has seen him. I, I think there's part of that. But it's not only did he not have a lot of mileage as far as on his fastball, wasn't getting the same type of swings and misses that he was getting in his previous start. But the breaking pitch, the slider and curveball were not with him in that Mm -hmm. start against Cleveland. Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to run like an alternate universe scenario where Zach Collins blocks that slider to Eddie Rosario in the dirt. And we see if that somehow creates like a, a different path where he ends up going six solid innings for the White Sox rather than uh, hitting a wall in the fourth, uh, just because that led to nine extra pitches and led to uh, a few more at bats and, and kind of sped up the order on him to where it just threw his whole day out of whack. Like it seemed like, you know, the stuff didn't have as much power on it. So maybe, you know, Cleveland would have figured him out eventually. And maybe just it's difference between like a scoreless inning and uh, you know, that's the only difference is the first, but then the second, third, fourth look largely the same. Looking at his numbers, like I noticed the fastball is like averaging 95. Like he doesn't get the 97, 98 like he was earlier in the year. Maybe that's kind of an in-season fatigue thing. Maybe it's, um, you know, something he's doing with, uh, you know, as a result of mechanics, like in order to improve his command or uh, changes he's made to uh, make sure he's going in the right direction to play it. It costs a little bit of, you know, sheer stuff, but it did seem like the both the fastball velocity is down and the slider velocity was down, and maybe just the lack of power on his stuff is what defined that start, aside from just the, the sheer bad luck early that I think set the tone for if it went bad, it was going to go bad in a hurry. Yeah, I can. I would be interested in visiting that timeline, Jim. But later in the game, though, when he was trying to snap off a high slider or that that knuckle curveball, it it was just a cement mixer. Like mm-hmm. he was not getting any drop at all, uh, and especially with two strikes, Cleveland hurt him with those hanging sliders. And it it just wasn't the same type of snap we've seen the past six starts from Dylan Cease, where he's been outstanding for the White Sox. Uh, so so far, Bennett, eleven starts for Dylan Cease. Overall, his season numbers are good. But his season started with the first four starts of the season for Dylan Cease. He can't get to the fifth inning. And then he has this clunker in Cleveland and sandwiched in between is six outstanding starts. How do you feel about Dylan Cease so far after 11 starts in 2021? Like the same, honestly, like he's got the stuff. He, he's got the ability. You, you know, he can have that excellent start against anyone, anytime out. But you know, as as Jim said, if something goes wrong, he's gonna fall out of whack. He, I think we talked a couple weeks ago about oh, he he was able to work himself out of trouble once, and I was very excited to see that. But I, I haven't been able to see it consistently. Where if he gets into trouble, he just loses it, and and his as you said, his breaking stuff wasn't there. So when his stuff's not there, if he can't pitch well. I mean, I understand that. If my stuff's not there, I can't. I don't know. Produce radio. I don't have a good comparison, <laughs> but but um, but even still, it's. It, I feel the same way in terms of he has to walk like this very, like thin line to have that great start, and it's it's awesome when he can, but I just don't have a lot of reliability in him right now, uh, as the guy who can do that every time out. 
It's kind of like the uh, the Dylan Cease before, like when Codify, you know, started becoming more and more of the conversation with Liam Hendricks and stuff. Uh, some people said like, well, Cease should start using it. And like with Cease, the way he threw before, if he's using Codify, how would you know? Like his command was so bad that like, is the heat map telling him to throw it in the left-handed batter's box? Cause everything's going that way. But uh, yeah, that's just the, when he's out of whack, it's just, that's where planning doesn't really help and his ability to execute uh, doesn't allow him to like pitch backwards or anything like that. He just kind of needs to survive until he finds his keys again. And sometimes it just sits on him. You know, Jim, before the game, I hosted a Twitter space and I posed this question to Janice Scurio and Jordan Lazowski. And for me, I thought it was a good litmus test to see on how Cease could hold up because there is some pressure for starting pitchers knowing who you are going against uh, and going against Shane Bieber. And right now the White Sox are on track to make the postseason. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I think that in a divisional round, Dylan Cease could get a start. He can get that game four start or he gets a game four start in the championship series. And that's kind of how I was watching Dylan Cease is that, okay, you're going up against Shane Bieber. Uh, this is a Cleveland team that's still winning quite a few games. They're in second place trying to catch ground. How do you do with a little bit of, little bit of pressure? Because I know Dylan Cease can have an outstanding night against Detroit. No mm -hmm. problem with Detroit. But how does make the postseason? <laughs> I don't think Detroit's making the postseason. Uh, but how does Dylan Cease do when he's got another premium starting pitcher opposing him? And can Cease keep it close, keep it mm -hmm. to two or three runs allowed? And obviously that didn't happen in his start. But for me, it's not that I don't lose any confidence in Dylan Cease. Uh, as far as being able to make that postseason start down the road, we still got two thirds of the way of the season to go through and he'll get more opportunities, but it does make me worry a little bit on some of the things that Bennett says, because if Cease gets into a jam or something doesn't go right, it does seem like he unravels more quickly than the other White Sox starting pitchers. Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess when he faces Garrett Cole and then Shane Bieber with a start against Baltimore in between, you can kind of see like you just by the results, like oh yeah, that's you know one's uh one's where he can coast and one's where he's trying to bear down on every pitch and maybe overthinking it or yeah. uh, reaching back too hard and and losing his release point and just getting the snap on the breaking balls and such, but. I guess, you know, the way I look at it is that, you know, maybe, you know, you can't count on the rotation holding as is, but, you know, depending on how matchups go, how the other team's rotation is stacking up, like, it seems like if we're talking about Cease having a postseason start at all, he's in better shape than he was last year, because last year, he, uh, you know, Good Dane point. Dunning beat him out, and Dane Dunning was barely qualified, and Rick Renteria, you know, basically showed as much when he bailed on him in the first inning. So if he's in line for like a game four start and you don't feel great about it, I, one, I'd, I'd assume that he's facing somebody similar. Like he's not facing the other team's Shane Bieber, unless it's like Shane Bieber on three days rest or something like that, you know, some kind of compromised rotation, a guy in his throw day. But, you know, if he's just, you know, even if he's just bum slaying right now and just kind of getting by on weaker opponents, like that's still, you know, when, when you look at what other teams are throwing out there and, and the injuries they're absorbing, their White Sox are still in good shape. Cease is still in good shape. Like, they just need them to get to October, and then they'll figure it out from there. And that's why I think, you know, having Lance Lynn, you know, he didn't throw on short rest today, but having somebody like Lance Lynn throwing on short rest or having Michael Kopech being in a flex role allows, you know, uh, I think the White Sox to not be dependent 
on a guy like Cease, if they don't feel great about him going, you know, six innings, if they just want three out of them, they have other ways they can go. All right, well, let's move over to our next topic. And this has gotten a lot of conversation, uh, especially after this Cleveland series, because Yerman Mercedes uh, is, is definitely regressing. And we have talked about this often in the last few weeks about Yerman Mercedes cooling off. Uh, and now it's not getting any better. In his last 14 games, Yerman Mercedes is hitting 125 with a 204 on base percentage, and he's slugging 188. Meanwhile, in his last six games, Jake Lamb is hitting 412 with a 500 on base percentage and slugging 647. So I asked the leader of the flock, Jim Margulis, should Jake Lamb get more starts at DH? I think so. Um, you know, not every day starts. I think he has his matchups as well, like against righties and, you know, against like pitchers who maybe work down in the zone or at least where he'd face uh, pitches down in the zone, even breaking balls. I think he's a good low ball hitter. He's good at dropping the bat head on uh, either fastballs down or breaking balls down. He can get beat upstairs like a lot of hitters can, but at least yeah, I'm seeing stuff he can do with Mercedes right now. It, you know, I watch him at the plate and he falls into that uncomfortable zone where we've seen other guys like, um, you know, Daniel Polka in his second year. And uh, like Diane Vicieto was another one where just you, you see so many pitches followed back and you wonder, like, what can he hit? What can he damage? Like, what pitches do you feel good about him hitting? What kind of matchups do you feel good about him capitalizing on? He's hitting to some bad luck here and there, like a, a couple line drives or hot one hoppers to the shortstop that have gotten snagged. But just watching the fastballs fouled back, we talked about this before um, that, you know, he's not hitting velocity right now. And, and the one fastball I turned around was 90 miles per hour. That's, I think, the concerning thing to me. So I think if he's facing like righties with anything resembling an average or better fastball, like that's, I think, where Lamb should step in. Um, yeah, it's, it might be playing the hot hand. It might be just, you know, going on sheer matchups, just not mm-hmm. feeling like you need a guy to field every day behind, uh, Abreu in the fifth spot, just get away from that. And, uh, maybe it's better for everybody. Yeah. You know, Jake lamb, he's only got two at bats against lefty. So it's pretty clear that Larusa uh, is doing a good job trying to limit as far as the exposure for Jake lamb against left-handed pitching. This season against righties, Jake Lamb is hitting 250 with a 389 on base percentage and slugging 477. Let's say he maintains that slash line, Bennett. That works for the White Sox, especially at the DH spot. I and I know Jim and I had this conversation on Monday Sox Machine podcast. We don't like Jake Lamb in the corner outfield spot. Uh, I don't like Jake Lamb at first base and. I'm sorry, Jake Lamb. Yohan Makata is playing gold glove caliber defense at third base. So you're not going to get a lot of starts at third base. But what say you when it comes to trying to get more at-bats for Jake Lamb, but also trying to help Yerman Mercedes out because uh, he's getting ice cold? Yeah, I mean, the answer is you, you got to help both. I, th- I think agreed on the matchups for Jake Lamb. Um, he's been like... He feels very Adam Engel 2020-esque where you look at these stats and they're incredible, but you, you look back and it's it's he's been getting very perfectly placed into the matchups that are good, and he's good in those situations. But, like, I don't know if I can trust him in a, in a really 
a much more expanded role. So I think more at-bats is definitely something that's going to happen right now. Um, as Jim said, not every day uh, in his matchups, and, and your mean's going to get some some play as well. Maybe he'll get a, uh, uh, some play in the field. I know he really didn't play well at first base. Maybe he can get me some catcher eligibility in fantasy because that would still be really helpful. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I think you're, mean, you're not giving up on your mean. Your mean's still going to get a good amount of play time right now. But, yeah, Jake Lamb, especially at DH, should be getting some more plate appearances. Yeah, hey, don't look now. I've won three games in a row in fantasy, Bennett. I oh, am, I... I am, I am gaining ground on you in our division, <laughs> in the uh, Josh Fields division. That that JB Shuck division in our fantasy league is insane right now. But anyways, <laughs> uh, for your Mercedes, Jim, he's hitting four thirteen with a four sixty on base percentage and slugging six fifty two against lefties. So he's clearly a lefty masher, which mm-hmm. obviously we've talked ad nauseum uh, regards as far as the White Sox lineup and doing incredibly well against left-handed pitching this year. Uh, is that the solution for Tony La Russa is all right. For example, Casey Mize is going to be uh, the probable pitcher for Detroit on Thursday. Maybe Jake Lamb gets that start at DH, but when Tarek Skubal pitches for Detroit on Saturday, that's for sure a humor Mercedes start. And then in between, try to pick out those matchups where I guess LaRusso would be guessing who's going to fare better between Mercedes and Lamb. I think it's a good kind of uh, two pitchers to use for what we're talking about. Because Mize, you know, he's got the uh, sinker slider. And maybe the sinker he can hit. But, you know, Lamb, we talk about him being a good low ball hitter. Like, you may as well just try to have him tee up on those uh, pitches, you know, uh, thigh high and lower. Then I think with Mercedes, you know, the two problems with him, you know, when we're talking about like his matchups is one velocity and then two, just the sliders and the way they can kind of stretch him off the plate and get him, you know, reaching across with that no stride swing and just fighting, fighting, fighting until he just finds one impossible to hit. And I think when you have a lefty who's throwing breaking balls towards him, that that threat is diminished like the the Mm -hmm. the breaking balls that they're trying to get in the fish on are now coming in at him maybe he can get the bad head out in front yank it down the left field line versus just you know basically just trying to to stay alive and he ends up with those weak pop outs to first base or shallow right field so it does seem like his style as uh composed right now with the heavier getting the two strikes and having that heavy reliance on that no stride swing is a lot better suited for breaking balls coming at him the other thing we haven't considered, and we saw this in the last game against Cleveland Bennett, Jake Lamb started in right field over Adam Eaton. Am I misdirecting this conversation? Because in my head, I think the conversation is Jake Lamb should get more plate appearances at DH. And your Mercedes, who's currently struggling right now, he could use a couple games off. But what if LaRusa is now thinking, you know, between Lamb and Eden? I like Lamb more than Adam Eaton. Like that's that to me, that seems really weird. Uh, and I wouldn't go there, but do you foresee more possibilities where, yeah, Jake Lamb gets starts over Adam Eaton, even though it's a righty on the mound. With Adam Engel coming back, is it weird that Adam Eaton is the one who deserves playing time the least of Adam Eaton, Billy Hamilton and Jake Lamb? Because that's where we're at right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Adam, I have no, no issue not seeing Adam Eaton hit the ball or try to hit the ball. 
Uh, so happy to give Lamb a cut as unfortunate as he is in right field. Uh, happy to see him get starts over Adam Eaton at the moment. And again, once Adam Engel comes back, I think hopefully that can help him out a little bit just with his range. And some of the some of it with Adam Eaton is also trying to give him some time off because of the hamstring issues that he has been dealing with. So that should also be taken into consideration. But as uh, for those that are watching the live stream or commenting, Adam Engel should be joining the White Sox soon. And I, I expect Adam Engel to help out Adam Eaton in that regard. Or we're going to see Adam Engel more in center field. And then new full hero, Jim, Billy Hamilton, <laughs> is going to start losing some playing time. So Yeah, you, you won that argument. Uh, although, <laughs> yeah, like For I now. would say that, that you're, yeah, your enthusiasm won out over my ambivalence. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the thing with Adam Eaton, like, he kind of seems like he's like a four-year-old phone where you know, he needs to be recharged a lot or he needs like the, the battery takes a long time to power up. Like once he's up to hundred percent, like he can rip the ball to right field. Like he had the double, he had the homer, he's fine. But then just, he, you know, it, it dies in a hurry <laughs> and you need to like go over to random coffee shops and look to see if there are any open outlets available to, to give him more time. So it, it seems like that's going to take uh, some, some creative shifting. And I think, you know, maybe not so creative once Adam Angle is back. And as long as Billy Hamilton is, Ripping pitches. Like the thing with, with uh, Hamilton is like, you know, when, when I was thinking about the discussion again, the Hamilton versus Larry, mm-hmm. is that Hamilton seems like he has, like his bad at bats are worse than Garcia's, but his better at bats are so much better. Uh, so I'm thinking like, you know, if he's, if the better at bats are this good, then yeah, he may as well play him until he just, you know, has a three games in a row where he goes like 0 for 12 with 10 strikeouts. And I think he probably called off. Uh, but yeah, I think with Eaton, it's just a matter of just how he feels and, yeah, using the eye test on him. And if he has like a day where he's like 0 for 4 and the bat is sluggish and, um, you know, missing pitches he should hit and, you know, just kind of uh, limping around or probably, you know, next day he'll have Angle out there, have Lamb out there. And, and you know, Lamb is like, you know, I guess, you know, having Eloy out there, you know, for a couple of years in left field does change <laughs> your standards a little bit. Like Lamb is not good, but he, he's, he doesn't pose a threat to himself or others. <laughs> Like on pop-ups, he doesn't try to do too much. He doesn't, you know, he knows his jurisdiction and uh, makes no attempt to infringe on others. And and when you see what Jimenez has done the last couple of years, I think like it, it does, it, it, I think it both makes a lot more forms of bad defense acceptable. It also makes me wonder, okay, like DH has to be the discussion now, right? Because if, if Andrew Vaughn's making diving catches like one and a half months into playing it, with less foot speed and Jake Lamb is catching everything around him. That's, you know, he's not making a show of it, but he's also not botching anything. Um, you know, what does that say about Jimenez? Yeah. Bennett, that's the point that you've been making right on Twitter that listen, if Andrew Vaughn can play as well as he has been in left field with no experience, then Eloy Jimenez is that bad on defense. Yeah. I, and I, I was giving credit to Danny Mendick as well, because he's played, admirably for someone who's never done it either it's it's become it's like i don't even i don't even get it like i can i feel confident i can play below average lefty i talk about less foot speed by the way but i feel confident i can play below average left field if i need to but like i i don't get it with eloy at this point i i i don't know if it's just spatial unawareness or what but there's something else has to be up with him because it's illogical 
uh, that he plays this poorly. But if if Vaughn can play this well, I maybe you see if Eloy can play first base. Like that's if you want him to not just be a DH only. Not that the White Sox don't already have too many first base DH players because I think they're up to. I will say if we're saying Jake Lamb can play right field, I guess he's off the list. But you know, three to five on the roster. So, yeah, like Eloy is probably suited to DH, maybe try him at first, but I I don't see a spot for him in left field uh, barring a defensive move. All right, well, let's go to our next topic. And this is something that I was thinking of while watching uh, last night's game and just trying to take into consideration as far as Zach Collins' side. Offensively this year against right-handed pitching, Zach Collins is hitting 232 with a 348 on base percentage, and he's slugging 375. That's not an impressive slash line that really doesn't meet up uh, with what we were expecting from Zach Collins was when he was taken to the first round. Uh, against lefties, Zach Collins should not be in games. When there's a left-handed starting pitcher on the mound, he's hitting 100. Uh, it's just 20 at-bats, but he has struck out 12 times in those 20 at-bats. So offensively, it's been a little lackluster from Zach Collins. But from the reporting and watching and as far as the pitcher matchups as well, it seems like the White Sox are impressed or more impressed with Zach Collins' ability defensively. And there is the game-calling side of catching. There's also the blocking and throwing out base runners and the pitch framing. And something that came to my head, Jim, while watching Zach Collins, and in that last game, I was watching the Fox Sports 1 broadcast because A.J. Pruszynski was on the call. And I just wanted to get A.J.'s thoughts on how the White Sox were doing. He was defending Zach Collins often in that game for the mistakes that Collins was making. Uh, you mentioned as far as the, the wild pitch in the first inning that kept the inning alive and eventually Cleveland scored uh, two runs as they didn't get out of that inning. Brzezinski quickly came to his aid. And then I was reminded that Brzezinski was not a good defensive catcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brzezinski was a good offensive catcher. Mm-hmm. And I, and I wish that Zach Collins was more like AJ Brzezinski with the bat. Then I went to baseball savant and I pulled up Zach Collins's uh, number so far, and they have runs, extra strikes, and they have strike rate, and they keep track of all the pitches that a catcher uh, fields. And right now, Zach Collins ranks 54th out of 58 catchers in Major League Baseball and runs extra strikes. And when you compare him to Yasmani Grandal, Grandal signed with the White Sox as one of the best pitch framers in all of Major League Baseball. That skill has declined for Grandal in the last three years. Uh, but his strike rate and his run extra strikes are still much better than Zach Collins. So when it comes to pitch framing, there's no debate. Yasmani Grandal is still superior than Zach Collins. And Zach Collins is still one of the worst pitch framers in all of Major League Baseball. So I pose this question to you, Jim. Mm-hmm. My The eye test tells me Zach Collins is getting better defensively. And he's come a long way since we watched him join the White Sox minor leagues full-time in 2017. But is Zach Collins a good defensive catcher? No. Uh, I'd say, like, but he doesn't have to be. Like, I, I think uh, there are two ways of looking at it. I think with Collins, there's the 
um, you know, there's the idea that framing has grown in leaps and bounds and like the, the gap between like the best framers and the worst framers are as smaller than it's ever been because everybody's aware of the value. You don't have like the Ryan uh, Domitz of the world uh, dragging down the values for everybody and, and, and making average a lot easier to come by uh, because uh, just the, you don't, the gap between like Ryan Domit and Jose Molina used to be, you know, be uh, just a chasm between uh, the best and worst. So a lot of catchers could comfortably slide in and be okay. Now I think the scrutiny is there to where Collins, you know, is the worst or among the worst in framing. And that feels like a disaster. But when you have uh, every catcher working on his framing and every catcher needing to be some form of acceptable and, and every team having data on what's acceptable, you know, not just the publicly available stuff like with baseball prospectus and, uh, baseball savant, but also probably their own stuff, their own trackman data that they at least, you know, know, you know, maybe he's a liability for this pitcher or this zone, but he's not, you know, going to be boxing pitches out of the zone the way like other guys were. So I think he's, he's not a good catcher, but he's playable. And I think the bat is playable against lefties. And I think the game calling has made strides too. Like when he's going with Giolito, like I think one of the, the strengths with James McCann with Giolito is that McCann was just, totally willing to just kind of throw conventional wisdom out the window and, and say mm-hmm. like eight changeups in a row, <laughs> just change, you know, like I, I've, uh, I'm physically unable to put down one, one finger by itself. It's going to be two or three, just, uh, you know, the entire inning long because I'm bored. Uh, I think, you know, Giolito works with that. I think he's, you know, when, when the changeup is coming out of his hand the way it does and uh, the way the changeup, I guess, doesn't come out of anybody else's hands like his, then it seems like, you know, having a, a catcher who's more pliable and, and more willing to go along with that kind of crazy play calling or pitch calling is maybe something that, you know, works for certain pitchers. So it, it makes sense that he's, you know, playable enough, even if he's not, you know, getting strikes for his pitchers the way Grandal does. And I think probably with Grandal, you look at the framing numbers, you look at the uh, his, his offensive numbers, and you look at the um, catcher interferences, and you still think he's probably – still making some kind of compromises with his knee to where like extra starts for Zach Collins or whoever would be backing him up are going to happen. Good points, Jim Bennett. How about you? When it comes to Zach Collins, as far as looking at his offensive numbers and what he's doing collectively defensively uh, again, he didn't play much for the white Sox in 2020. He spent a lot of time in Schaumburg. He barely played in 2019. Are you happy with the progression of Zach Collins so far with the white Sox? Jim stole my whole argument. I was going to compare him to James McCann. Uh, I, I even I, – listen, I went to the – this is the pro-am. I went to the baseball savant leaderboard and went, Zach Collins is 54th. James McCann is 50th in, in framing statistics. It's – he's the same kind of catcher defensively where his glove isn't always going to drag the ball in. He's not going to catch everything, but he knows his pitcher, and he, he can call a game well with his pitcher. He's not on – codify but you can tell he has plans with whoever he's going in with he there's some guy maybe you know i don't know about him with dylan sees always but you know you can tell he knows his pitchers and he can call a good game with those pitchers his glove maybe not the best but he's got that element of it which as jim said i think is is acceptable it is it is perfectly okay and as long as he can be a solid hitter he'll he'll continue to get this role 
Yeah, I do think Jason Benetti is maybe overselling a little bit, talking about like how much Collins framing has improved when you can like look it up and see him at the bottom of a leaderboard and say like, yeah, settle down a little bit. Like he's he's got himself in a playable shape. I think I would emphasize his game calling. Like if I were trying yeah. to, you know, spin his progression positively, uh, game calling, I think, is the way you go about it just because it is hard to prove, you know, pitcher comfort, uh, sequencing, you know, even you know, the, the the guys who study it haven't been able to really crack that code yet and present it in a way that can be found. Well, the strike rate has increased, though, from 2019 mm-hmm. by one and a half percent with more pitches. Um, but you make a good point. Like you shouldn't use we shouldn't use pitch framing right now to sell Zach Collins improving defensively. Uh, and maybe pitch framing won't be that important if robot umps come. Uh, we'll see. There's the Twitter account now, Ump Scorecards, and that's definitely shining a light as far as on how well umpires are doing game to game and which umpires are most consistent and uh, which which umpires are very random. Uh, you, you already know on who is the most random umpire behind home plate. Uh, Angela Hernandez. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, it, that's just something that came to thought while watching the game and just watching Zach Collins. And I just wanted to chat with you guys about is, is Zach Collins a good catcher? And I think at this moment, defensively, no, but he is improving the, the bat, Jim. Mm-hmm. I, I'm worried about the bat. And if the bat doesn't come around, I don't know what kind of player profile Zach Collins has. As in, is he just going to be a backup catcher for the rest of his career? And, you know, for, for some guys, that's mm-hmm. that, that's fine. But I don't think the White Sox drafted him 10th overall to be the backup catcher. And the way that he's hitting, he can't even help you DHing or even spending some time at first base because the bat doesn't play there either. Well, I think the, yeah, the line against righties isn't bad. Like that's, you know, maybe back half of the order useful. And it kind of reminds me of like, he's like Tyler Flowers, the same kind of career progression, except he didn't become a framing God. Like Tyler Flowers, especially like his Atlanta days, like he was a fine hitter. Like, you're not like, I guess like a okay hitter (laughs) and that fine isn't like, uh, you know, craftsman with the bat, but more just like, he's fine. You know, you don't mind having him out there. Like the, when I saw Braves fans complaining about him, he was complaining, they were complaining about like his past balls and like how his attempts to frame pitches would sometimes get behind him and go to the screen. But he was fine, like, you know, kind of a 250 hitter OBPs in like the 330, 340 range, slugging percent around 400. Like that's, for a catcher, that's fine. For a, uh, for a backup catcher, um, a guy playing twice a week, that's, you know, they've done a lot worse uh, you know, in the past. Uh, other teams are doing a lot worse when you see like what the Tigers have been rolling out and what the uh, Royals have been rolling out behind Sal Perez. Just, you know, they can see it around the division and around the league that uh, the the bar I think that Grandal sets and the bar that Grandal and James McCann set last year, I think made it very high for uh, two catchers going forward. I think there needs to be a little bit of separation just to kind of reset the gauge on, on what catchers are supposed to be. Because I think Flowers suffered from that too, following A.J. Pierzynski and just A.J. Pierzynski's eight years of stability, having the same offensive year every single year while his mm-hmm. defense slowly slipped away. But when you have Hawk Harrelson in the booth, you know, your biggest fan, 
uh, talking about what a player, you know, how you're the smartest base runner in the league and uh, how nothing that happens with the base running game is your fault. <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> it's hard for fans to, uh, I guess, calibrate expectations for the next catcher. So Flowers got caught there a little bit. And I think maybe McCann, uh, McCann's second year with the White Sox really kind of overshadowed or, or, or kind of cast a shadow over what a backup catcher normally is. He's still good with Zach Collins catching. It looks like Zach Collins is going to catch Carlos Rodon for the rest of the season. Uh, <laughs> as far as his uh, other appearances, we, we've seen him with Dylan Cease. We've seen him with Lucas Giolito. Jim, how would you like to see Collins implemented moving forward? Well, it seems like, you know, Giolito is his guy right now, and maybe Giolito likes working with the catcher more than others, and that's unfortunate but fine, you know, especially if Giolito is whatever it takes to get him back to Cy Young candidates. With Carlos Rodon, it's funny because like Omar Narvaez is a great framer now, apparently. But when he was at the White Sox, he was towards the bottom of the league in receiving. And he was always paired with Carlos Rodon because Rodon, I guess, you know, just developed comfort with him or like throwing a slider to him or something like that. But, you know, you'd always have this really wonky strike zone and, and people would complain about it online and just like, well, he picked the catcher. And so when it comes to Collins, you know, getting paired with him, I just think like, um, you know, I mean, you can't complain about the results so far. And I think that probably speaks to just uh, the White Sox tolerance for bad framers or or what they've done to try to improve getting like awful framers to merely below average. Um, and so maybe like Rodon is able to thrive with the kind of receiving he's getting now versus the kind of receiving he got before. But just uh, it'd be fun or nice to kind of see what he would look like with a catcher who could actually put more of his pitches in the zone or, or mm -hmm. get more of his pitches that are already in the zone called strikes because his slider, you know, can cross the plate in one place, take a mitt in another place. And the, uh, and the, and the umpire is drawn to where the mitt ended up. And uh, I, I think, you know, Grandal is quieter in that regard, especially like lower in the zone, better catching uh, lower strikes. So I think it seems like he'd be a better fit for it, but yeah, I guess that speaks to comfort. By the way, this was a total setup for those that listen to the we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last Sox Machine podcast on Monday, we received a request to have reverse jinx because whenever I talk bad about someone... On the White Sox, they seem to have a great game or a great week, and they wake up. I am using this week's reverse jinx for Zach Collins. So, <laughs> there you go, Zach. I, I'm sure that will help you. Uh, it's not helping near Mercedes, but ignore that for right now. 
this time it will work for you. But that was just something that entered my mind watching Zach Collins. And we've talked about Zach Collins so much over the years since the day that he was drafted and through his development in the minor leagues. I just thought it'd be a good time after the first couple of months as a, as, as a kind of like a checkpoint just to chat about as far as his progression because he is getting more playing time. He seems to be working really well with Carlos Rodon. And if he's going to start catching Lucas Giolito more often, we're going to see Zach Collins more often in the everyday lineup for the Chicago White Sox, no matter how often Yasmani Grandal is walking and how his pitch framing is doing. Uh, it looks like that Grandal may get 60% of the starts and then Collins will get 40% of the starts, which is a uh, you know, I think it's a typical ratio in Major League Baseball, but I think we were expecting a little bit more workload for Yasmani Grandal before the season started. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Well, regards as far as playing time with Yasmani Grandal and Zach Collins, this upcoming weekend series against Detroit, let's go ahead and preview that series now as the Detroit Tigers head to Chicago for this upcoming series, a four-game series between these two teams, and taking a look at the Detroit Tigers. They have been playing some inspiring baseball as of late. And Detroit is still ahead of the Minnesota Twins as we are streaming. Uh, the Minnesota Twins are currently playing the Baltimore Orioles, and they are uh, they are at risk of losing a series to the Baltimore Orioles, which is something else. Uh, but the Detroit Tigers just recently swept the New York Yankees at home. Uh, which was definitely an eye-opener and has had many people in New York starting to panic after that series. Uh, offensively, the Tigers struggle still. They're only averaging 3.7 runs per game. On the runs allowed per game side, they are allowing 4.65 runs per game, but they are getting better pitching as of late. And on that Saturday game, the White Sox are wearing their City Connect jersey, which I've got wearing right now for those that are watching on YouTube and for those listening to the podcast version, you're just going to have to imagine me in the Southside City Connect jersey. Uh, so it'll be cool to see Lucas Giolito will be making that start and he'll be wearing the uniform for the White Sox that afternoon. All right, Bennett, Detroit, coming to the town. White Sox fans are thinking this should be an easy series. They should win three or it's another weekend uh, series sweep like we saw last week against Baltimore. How are you feeling about this series between the White Sox and Tigers? Let me pose a question to you guys. Uh, which team is worse? Is it the team that gets swept by the Yankees or the team that oh, – I thought I screwed it up. Is it the team that sweeps the Yankees or the team uh, – whatever. You know what I'm saying. Anyways. Chris, no, uh, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, the, is it worse to get swept by the Yankees or is, uh, by the Tigers or by the team that got swept by the Tigers? Anyways, more importantly, uh, yeah, I, I, as I said to Josh off the air, I liked this Detroit team coming into the year a lot more than most people. They were my very, very dark horse pick to win the AL Central or if everything hit just right and nothing has hit, but the, the pitching has been okay, I guess. Um, <laughs> but they've been... They've been improving, which I guess they were, they were like eight and twenty at some point. So 
I, they have to improve, and they've been streaking up the uh, the tankathon boards, as you said, Josh, or down the boards, as you said. But um, yeah, like this, as always, they should take three or four of these pretty confidently. Uh, I, as I've said before, I, I don't predict sweeps. That's just statistically those you can't guess those. So three of four, I think, is is pretty much pretty good if they get two of four something went wrong and if they sweep everything went right basically so i I predict three of four but uh should be a nice weekend how about you jim how are you feeling about this series between detroit and the white Sox? seems like the pitching has made strides so uh especially when you have like guys like mize and turnbull from the right side and turnbull and and I, i guess they both can get grounders so you know the white Sox have to either you know get better or or continue to have one of those days where they resist pounding low sinkers in the ground and 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 make them throw a lot of pitches even if it's not so much a matter of like getting to mize or getting to turnbull more of a matter of just like waiting them out making them throw five innings instead of six and a third i think that's probably how the series seems like it'll be decided it's just trying to get to the tigers bullpen having the white Sox starting pitching go toe-to-toe or keep it close enough to to get Detroit's uh, bullpen in the game. And that's why I think like, you know, to, to go back to Jake Lamb and, and having him getting some starts at DH, like, you know, with Makata warming up, with Lamb warming up, with Collins being, uh, you know, having good at bats against uh, righties, even if he isn't like uh, smoking. I mean, he's at least, you know, being able to, uh, you know, not strike out, you know, extended bats, poke a single to left center uh, every once in a while. Like he's, he's a threat against uh, righties. They have to take him seriously just having a little bit more depth from the left side against pitchers like them should, I think, help. Uh, so I'm hoping that when the lineups come out, especially the first two games, that Mercedes isn't backing up Abreu um, like he has been, just because I think we're seeing diminishing returns, especially with a guy like Mize, who seems to be reaching his uh, you know, first overall potential, that uh, this would be the time to make a change and just play a hunch and play heat maps, hitting zones, and and think that Lamb might be a guy who just makes his job a little bit tougher and, and makes him throw more pitches and uh, you know runs that pitch count up to towards 100 by the uh, middle of the fifth or middle of the sixth rather than you know early seventh or even at the end of the eighth. We are seeing some experimenting with the lineup in recent games, Jim. Nick Magical has been batting second more often behind Tim Anderson. Uh, even Yasmani Grandal, when he's in the lineup, we've seen him bat second as well uh so it looks like larissa is trying to make some adjustments to the lineup who would you like to see more often batting behind jose abreu in this lineup i think it would be lamb uh against righties that are, that's a good matchup and then you know when you have a lefty who uh you know isn't going to be like throwing high fastballs past mercedes like uh go yeah you know, i think mercedes is fine against lefties just been a lot of tough righties that have exacerbated mercedes flaws so he's not somebody you give up on just more of a matter of yet to be more sensitive to his shortcomings and uh, that other guys may be stronger than him. Like some of the charm has worn off, worn off after the first month. And now it's about just putting him in position to succeed and not like assuming that he will. All right, Bennett, I know that you won't predict a sweep coward, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what are you going to be paying attention to most in this four in these four games against the Tigers from a White Sox perspective? So the answer is is the starting pitching, and I still everything's been, been doing well. That the rotation's ERA has been excellent. 
But Lucas Giolito, can he continue to bounce back? Because he, outside of that one Boston start, has looked maybe not Cy Young, but but very, very good. Uh, you know, Lance Lynn, all right, he'll be on normal rest. I'm not really worried about Lance Lynn. Uh, Carlos Radon, can he bounce back? So it's just, it's the starting pitching. And if they can get back, you know, if they, because everyone's going to even out a little bit more, but it's if, if they can, they can kind of normalize themselves here. If Carlos Rodon can write the ship, if, if Lucas Giolito can, can kind of continue climbing that mountain back to, to his point, to his top. For me, I want to see a little bit more power. Of course, we saw a lot of that power, more home runs against Baltimore. I'm hoping the White Sox can find a way against these type of sinker ballers that they're going to face, especially against Casey Mize. If they could generate some power, if they could punish the pitchers trying to go up in the zone. Um, but my second thing I'm watching is Yohan Makata. Jim, I feel it in my bones. Like he's had a good start, but when I'm looking at a slash line and you're looking at the results, Outside of the batted ball data, the batted ball data is very promising, but the results are just not quite there. So it, it's like a disconnect in my brain. Mm-hmm. How can someone hit the ball so hard and so well, but have such few extra base hits? I feel like in the month of June, I feel it in my bones, Jim. We're going to see more extra base hits from Yoan Makata this month. I think he's poised to have a big month for the White Sox. And uh, I think he'll start in this series against Detroit where he had a, he had an excellent game against Shane Bieber mm-hmm. last time out. Yeah, Rick Hahn had something in his uh, media conference talking about how guys have been playing through pain. And James Fegan said that he was uh, alluding to Yoan Makata playing through some things. Uh, and he, when you look at him wincing every once in a while on the field, like he does look like he's playing through some things, but if he's playing this well and, and offering this much in the field, uh, you know, getting on base the way he is when he's, you know, I don't know, 80% or whatever percent you want to, not a hundred percent. Like it does raise the floor on him quite a bit to where, you know, like I'm thinking guys like in the past, like Avi Garcia, where when he was like a hundred percent, when he was feeling it, he was a good outfielder, like borderline all-star. Uh, but like when it, when his knee would flare up or he'd have some kind of leg issue, uh, the production would tail off. He would hit grounders left side, wouldn't be able to beat him out. And then just, he would basically just kind of uh, quickly uh, regress into just a replacement level player. And with Makata, you know, we've seen him go hot and cold before. And you know, last year, I think COVID, uh, you can't really liken that to anything he's encountered before health-wise, but just seeing him, if he's not 100%, but he's still getting on base like with the 430 clip, like that is somebody the White Sox have not seen since like what, Tony Phillips or something like that? Like some kind of like just an on-base monster like that? Like a guy who you know, where 400 is like suddenly his floor? <laughs> like, that's uh. <laughs> That's nuts. And, and yeah, it, it, like maybe like Jim Tomey or something like that slugger, but I'm talking about like a guy who is not going to be like a 40 homer guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, Phillips, I think is the last guy I can think of who uh, would maybe hit like, you know, double digit homers, but would still, still get on base at a ridiculous rate. Yeah. Tony Phillips was part of that 1996 White Sox team that led the league in walks. Yeah. Uh, so that helps. And we know this White Sox team likes to walk and we see it in the comment section, YouTube as well. The White Sox, if given an opportunity again, 
where Detroit has five errors in a single game. They need to win that game. Let's not have a repeat of the last time. If that does come uh, to the surface again, if Detroit has another bad defensive game, but we will be recapping this series on, on the sex and the socks machine podcast Monday, I'll bring you guys the White Sox wake-up call Friday morning. Uh, so for those that are watching live right now for the first time, thank you for watching Sox Machine Live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. If you are new, uh, please subscribe to our channel. And we had we have already over 300 subscribers, so thank you guys who have already subscribed to the YouTube channel. Greatly appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine. You can follow Bennett on Twitter at the Bennett K and he will help you get followers. So definitely do that. He is everyone's hype man on Twitter. Uh, what? Nothing. It's a Twitter joke. Just the, the, the comments will get it. Oh, okay. Got it. Uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. Socks Machine Live, if you don't get a chance to watch the live stream, the audio version is always uploaded into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Socks Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy our work and want more, think about supporting us on Patreon.com at Patreon.com slash Socks Machine. We have several different tiers of support starting at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month in which you would receive ad-free versions of the podcast and the website, exclusive content, and free crack at our new Socks Machine swag free items crack. when we get it. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. No better way to get Patreon supporters than to say you get free crack if you sign up for $10 a month. Anyways, <laughs> you, you, you get first. Let's yeah, you get you get the first opportunity. Let's just call it that. Uh, Socks and sheet swag if you sign up. So uh, you don't get free crack, but if you are interested, go to Patreon.com/slash Socks Machine and sign up today. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Bennett Carroll and Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.